Good morning, brethren and friends. It's good to see you today. And we're so glad to be assembled here in person. And for those of you who are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, today, it's, it's so great to see so many of us uh, here today. It's been a long time since we've seen quite a number of us together all at once, but also we're glad to see some new faces who have joined us today visiting with us, and also some who have been away from us, like our sister Margaret. Uh, and we're so glad to be that the borders are open, you know, that you'll be able to visit us again. Uh, this morning, we are, uh, we are on the last uh, topic or last lesson on the team that we've had over the past couple of weeks on Uniquely United. And uh, this uh, series of topics uh, was crafted uh, as we approach our church planning session next year. Uh, sorry, next, uh, uh, for next year, but uh, next week is our CPS. And uh, in uh, pre preparation to do so, uh, and as we look forward to new plans for the church, uh, as we look forward to working together again in person after this uh, COVID period, uh, it's a good reminder uh, as to how God wants us to work together with each other and to interact with each other in church. And so over the past couple of weeks, uh, we've looked at recognizing the diversity that we have uh, in the church, different people, but one vision, where all of us come from different unique backgrounds and perspectives, but all walking towards the same home. Uh, the last lesson we've had was looking at how we can work together uh, to build the church and uh, very, very needful as we think about our plans for next year here in Kota Kamuning. But today we want to talk about seeing God in each other. The church that God has designed isn't like any other organization, although some parts of it may look like one. For example, in many other organizations or businesses, uh, you have a physical building that you go to. Uh, you have uh, operations within uh, that organization. Uh, you have some sort of leadership structure uh, within the organization. And to a certain extent, the church as an organization is similar in that way. But the big difference that the church has with all these other organizations is that while we see it as a physical organization, it is so much more than that. It's a spiritual organization that takes on very different forms and very different descriptions as we read from the Word of God. For example, the church is described as a kingdom with a king, with subjects, a royal subjects that are subject to the king, as we read in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 to 19. The church is also described as a household of God, or sometimes we call it a family of God, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 to 20. And that's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is also known as a body, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 12 to 27, where we are all members of that one body of Christ. We have different functions, we have different talents, but we all contribute to that functioning body of Christ. And then in Revelation, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, we see the church described as a bride of Christ, where we are married to Christ and we play that role where we are subject to him as our spiritual husband. The big difference in all of these descriptions and many more that separates the church from any other organization or group of people coming together today in the world is that God is in it. And that makes all the difference for us today. We have many, many wonderful things that we see in the world today. For example, engineering feats. We have, uh, and in fact, just over the past couple of months, right, this year, we've seen people going to space uh, aside from government agencies. We see beautiful paintings uh, around the world uh, crafted by uh, master painters, right? We see uh, how music is developed 
uh, in many different ways. And we see even uh, constructions, right, uh, monuments like the Great Wall of China and many others that we see in the world today. And all this is a testimony to man's, mankind's intelligence and creativity and the way that we have been made. And this is a testament also to the wonderful creation of what we call today as the human being. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 to 27, therein lies that origin of that creativity and that intelligence and that awesome, wonderful creation called the human being. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, when uh, the Bible was telling us about the creation story, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're created in God's likeness and image. And what this means is a spiritual likeness. It means we have a conscience just like God has. We, we have intelligence like God is an intelligent being. We have emotions because God is able to feel as well. And we have a sense of morality, a sense of right and wrong. But the world today tries to reduce human beings to mere animals, through ideologies that are taught through our education system, through universities um, like evolution, like individualism. And all these tries to reduce us to nothing more than just another species on the earth. And when people operate from that mindset, it reduces this wonderful creation, this intelligent, creative being that we know as humans to mere animals operating from carnal instincts. And when we do that, it makes us operate from different perspectives like survival of the fittest. Right? And that promotes selfishness, that promotes scheming, that promotes us getting people out of our way so that we can get to what we want. And that's what we see in the animal world today. Uh, those that are the best, the fastest, the quickest, the strongest get to the top. We see also a concept of hierarchy. I'm better than you. I'm more powerful than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm, I have more than you, right? And again, we see that in the animal kingdom, right? And that's where uh, animals go to the, what we call the apex of that pyramid, right? The food pyramid. And, in the, and when people operate from this mindset, it's similar, right? People want to get to the top of the world by being better and stronger and so on. But it also causes us to be territorial. Uh, it means to protect what's mine. And of course, it's needed, right? And there are things that belong to us in this world. But when we are territorial, just like animals are, it removes the opportunity to connect and to share with each other, which is what human beings are meant to do, right? But also, it normalizes sin for a lot of people. Because when we reduce ourselves to mere animals, in that sense, we act on our physical impulses. It reduces human beings to need-based creatures without concern of right or wrong. So, for example, if you're angry, you retaliate, you lash out, you break things. If you have heightened sexual urges, right, you sleep around with no consideration for the sanctity of marriage. And actually, there's a whole industry built on this through things like uh, the apps right, and online uh, meetings and things like that. If you can't handle the stress of life, you turn, we turn to addictions to make it more physically relaxing for us, whether it's TV or media, whether it's drugs, medications, or any other forms of addiction. 
because it's just giving in to our physical needs. And the world creeps into our lives in very subtle ways like this, very quiet ways, without us knowing that our minds are being skewed. And many, much of this is done through, uh, through the media that we see today, whether it's digital media, social media, whether it's uh, uh, things that we watch on TV, etc. Um, recently, I was watching an, uh, an episode of a show on Netflix. And uh, just a disclaimer, I, do not, I don't follow this show. I didn't know what the whole background of this show was. Uh, but I watched uh, about one or two episodes of this because it was something that's, um, that's very big in the world now, right, today, especially in the Netflix community. And um, again, I, I don't know what the background of this show, what the, the story is, right? But in those two episodes that I watched, it showed a, a husband and wife couple who, I guess, I don't know if it's, if it's right to say who has fun, but they basically, they go around murdering people, right? And uh, at the same time, they're seeking marriage therapy, right? And in the marriage therapy, of course, they are, they're not saying all these things to the therapist, but the therapist is encouraging them to um, work as a team, right? And then that show translates that working as a team in a marriage to them committing murders together. And the way it's designed, right, it's so subtle, right? It's like, oh, you've got problems in your marriage, you need to work together, find common things to do together, and their common thing together is killing people, right? And, but the way it's done is so, so subtle that you don't realize that that's the connection that's being made, right? And this is how media is normalizing sin for us, right? Like, it's, it's perfectly fine, right? And that's just the way things people do, right? And that's the problem when we reduce ourselves to unconscionable, Unco uh, un unconscious thinking, and also mere animals like the world wants us to think. But this is not the way God intended for his creation to be. He has created us to be better than just animals with a mind of our own. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, the same book uh, in, that we just read from, God has given us dominion over all the rest of creation. In Psalm chapter 8, sorry, it should be Psalm chapter 8, not 18, verse 5 to 8, the psalmist writes, for you have made him, mankind, a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the parts of the sea. Here we see the crowning glory of God's creation, which is mankind. And so why is it important that we view ourselves and others in this manner? Because when we see ourselves and each other as people who are just moving around lives, catering to our own physical needs, or whether we see each other as wonderful, creative people with so much hope and potential, that is going to determine how we think of each other. And that is going to determine how we treat and interact with each other. And so the call for us today as Christians is to go above and beyond what the world tries to tell us we are, what we are, and to view life and to view others and people the way God wants us to, the way he has created us to be. And even more so that this is important within the church, this sanctuary, this safe space that God has created, where his way of seeing people must be conducted and communicated through the church, through us, the rest of the world. A couple of years back, I was in Nepal where I took a solo trip. 
And it's, uh, if, you, if you've never been there, and, or if you've been there, you would have seen how very interesting the, the culture is. And one of the things that uh, they do in their culture, generally as you, you walk along, as you go into shops and all that, is that instead of saying hi or hello, they put their palms together like this and they say namaste. And uh, this, this greeting is, also, uh, is, is not just in, 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 uh, in Nepal, but in South Asia as well. And you probably have heard, heard it before. Maybe some, you've heard some people saying it. Maybe you've seen it on shows and whatnot. And the way Namaste is used today is, you know, it's kind of like a greeting, like hi and hello. But as I thought, as I, as I dug a little deeper to talking to some, some of the, um, the, the residents there and through uh, some research, uh, it impressed me because this greeting, Namaste, is not just about hi or hello, but in their language, it actually literally means, I recognize the divine in you, or I see God, or I recognize God in you. And I tell you, that, that changed the perspective of how they're greeting each other. Of course, I think on a daily basis, they don't really think twice about it, right? But can you imagine how when they're coming together, and this is, of course, based on their, their own form of spirituality and their culture. But to recognize God in the other person, the divine in the other person. And while our religious beliefs are different, I think it's a similar perspective that we Christians can hold as well. I see you today as your name. I see Jonah, Yanti preaching, I see Uncle T, I see Kevin and, and Vivian. I see you as your name. I see you as how I know you, as your history and maybe what you do, and I identify you. But more than that, I'm recognizing that as wonderful as I am, a, a, a creation of God, that you are too. That you are special. That you are unique. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made, like the psalmist says in Psalms, Psalms chapter 139, and that you are loved by God. And that changes an entire perspective of how we see and deal with each other. To see God in each other means that we see others the way God sees us. And one of the biggest ways that God sees us is through agape love. Right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, we're still talking about Adam and Eve here. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, and unfortunately they had to leave the Garden of Eden, God was, of course, very displeased with them for the sin that they had committed, right? which was eating of the, uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And they had to leave because they had sinned. But even as they were exiting the Garden of Eden, what did God do? In verse 21, God made tunics of skin and clothed them. God still took care of them. God made sure they were protected. Right? So we see right from the beginning how God has cared for his creation. And then in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 to 5, uh, 45, it says, For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. But more than a physical sense, God also cares for his creation in a spiritual sense, as we see in John chapter 3 and verse 16. And we know that verse very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send those, his Son into the world to be condemned, uh, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And in John chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. The word agape there, as we know in English as love, uh, 
right? It's not love in the maybe the emotional way that we would love our family or our spouses, but it's a general sense of care and concern and goodwill towards others. And maybe look at Jesus' ministry on earth as our perfect example. His ministry concerned all men, not just those who followed him. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, and there was no prerequisite for these people who Jesus helped. They didn't have to believe in him, they didn't have to follow him for him to do good to them. And when Jesus died, he died, of course, for all of mankind. Whether or not people chose to follow him, he died for them. For those who persecuted and who betrayed him and who reviled him and who beat him, Jesus died for them as well. This is a huge lesson for us. Because many times in life, we wait for the other person to make the first move. And then we decide how we treat them. And we treat them back the same way that they have treated us. And so that's a very reactive approach. And uh, maybe from past experiences, we are weary, we are suspicious of people, and that's fair. Right? But here's the Christian challenge. What if we chose to agape first? To consider their circumstance first? Put ourselves in their shoes first? How big a difference to our lives would that make and to the lives of others and the relationships that we have with others when we choose to agape first? Now, of course, we need to be cautious, right? And if there's danger with a certain person, of course, let's not engage in that sense. We need to be wise, right? But for the most part, for all of us here today and listening in today, uh, our lives come into contact with more general people than dangerous people, unless perhaps you have a life that I, I don't know about and perhaps you might come into contact with a lot more dangerous people than the, than the average human, right? But in most circumstances, right, we have a chance, we have an opportunity to agape first. In John chapter 15 and verse 12, the Bible reads, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And this reminds me of the account that Jesus had with um, a young lawyer in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25-37. Uh, many of you are familiar with this account where this young lawyer asked Jesus a very good question. And he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do so that I have life after, after earth? And Jesus said, well, you, you know the law. You're a man of the law. You've, uh, you've, from, from young, right, you've studied the scriptures. What does it say? Right? And he says, love the, Lord with God, love the Lord thy God with all your heart right? and also love your neighbor as yourself. And then this young lawyer asked another good question to Jesus. He said, but who is my neighbor? And then that's where Jesus told the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we know that story, most of us as well, where a man was robbed and left for dead. Three men walked by, a priest, a Levite, a Samaritan. The priest and Levite who were religious leaders did nothing to help that person, but the Samaritan did. And the Samaritan not just took care of him, bound his bandages, took him to an inn, paid for him, made sure he was cared and gave extra money so that the inn could take care of the, the man that was robbed and beaten, right? And we won't go into too much detail in that story today. But I want to draw your focus to verse 36 and verse 37. After Jesus told this story of the parable, and then he went back to the young lawyer and said, out of all this, who was that man's neighbor? Right? And the young lawyer said, the one who showed mercy on the man that was robbed and beaten. The word mercy here in the Greek text is the word elios, right? And that means kindness or goodness or compassion. 
Are we good neighbors to others today? Do we go into the world with kindness and goodness and compassion in the way that we see others? Not just in the church, but just about everybody that we attend to. And that's a good question for us today. But when we speak about, when we speak about seeing others as God sees them, another way that God sees us, human beings today, is temporary. In Psalms 103, verse 15 to 16, the psalmist writes, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Our life on earth today is measured. We only have so much time to live. And if the Lord blesses us, we may live up to a good old age of 70, 80, 90. But even then, it's a short life. Because there's only so much limited time, let's not hold on to grudges and issues with others because life is short. You know how much time sometimes we spend holding uh, unpleasant grudges amongst other people? Uh, and sometimes this, this can take years and years. And I've seen, I've seen people, uh, both in the church and outside, who have hold on to grudges that last 10, 15 years, right? And they still recount back, you know what he did to me, uh, she did to me, and so on and so forth, right? And it amazes me how they hold on to such a grudge for so long. Right? In Romans chapter 12 to 18, the Bible reads, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We've heard that quote, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? Have you heard that? Um, and so when we look at others, remember that we only have a short time here on earth with, with this other person that we're interacting with. And as much as we can, let's try to make whatever relationship we have with them, no matter how short or how long, as fulfilling as we can as well. Because we won't see that person, perhaps, for a much longer time. But recognizing the brevity of life in our own lives also helps us to recognize that others also have a short life. And that needs to spur us to teach and tell others about the gospel. To share with those that don't have Jesus about the gospel because we're not promised tomorrow. But also recognize that every time we see someone, that that might be the very last time that we interact with them for whatever reason. Right? And the most important and impactful thing that we can do for others is to let them know that God loves them through the way we're interacting with them. Seeing God in others also means that we recognize that while we are wonderfully created just like us, others also have an imperfect life, just as we are imperfect. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20, the Bible reads, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, as we're familiar with that passage, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's very easy to hold others to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to, isn't it? Because we also we, we generally have a higher expectation of how life should be or how others should be towards us. And we tend to be more forgiving of our shortcomings, but with others, we're quick to make assumptions uh, of their actions and intentions, right? and we're more quick to judge. And I know I've been guilty of that many, many times in my life. And it's a struggle, it's a challenge because of the way that we're designed. But when we look to Jesus as the perfect example, we see a very different picture in how he deals with others and how we should deal with others as well. Many, many times in his life, when Jesus came into interaction with others, 
he left them in a certain place. Let's look at some examples. Remember in John chapter 8, in verse 1 to 11, where Jesus had an interaction with an adulterous woman. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they caught her just in action, living um, a wrong life, a sinful life. And they brought her in front of Jesus, where he was sitting and he was drawing in the sand. And I guess this was maybe some sort of test that they tried to put Jesus through. Maybe they wanted him to react to the situation. Right. And in, during that time, as it is today, adultery was a big sin uh, within, that, within the community and culture of the Jewish people. But when they accused the woman in front of Jesus, what was Jesus' response? As a religious leader, Jesus could very well have taken the, the, the book of law right, and condemned her, especially Jesus being who he was. Right? But we see a merciful Jesus. What did he say? He said, for all of any of you who have not who have no sin in your life, you cast the first stone. And of course, nobody dared to do that, right? Because everybody's imperfect. Everybody has sinned, right? And of course, slowly they went away. And then when he was left alone with the adulterous woman, what did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. He didn't make a ruckus. He didn't cause a big fuss. He didn't accuse her and condemn her privately, right? He forgave. He said, I know you've done wrong. You know you've done wrong, right? And you can do better. Go and sin no more. And we don't, we don't hear about this woman after that, right? But I'm certain that that woman's life was changed that day because of the mercy that she had received from Jesus. Let's look at the example of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and verse 1 to 10, where Zacchaeus was a man that was hated by the people of his day because he was a Jew, but he was also a tax collector for a Gentile government. Right? And to the Jews of his community, um, they, they saw him as a traitor right? because he was taking money from them, probably more money than he should, but he was also enriching his life. Right? And Zacchaeus, like me, was a short man. And he, uh, when Jesus came uh, into the community, he couldn't see Jesus, right? Uh, and I hope I, I, I would not be in that situation where I can't see Jesus because of my height, right? but he really couldn't. right? And so he climbed up to the tree and we know that story as well. But while he was probably peering from the tree at Jesus, right, just very curious about who this man was, right? Jesus, out of all the crowds that were surrounding him, of all the people that he could have interacted with and, and done good to or made a miracle of sorts, right, he saw the man in the tree. And of course, being divine, he knew that Zacchaeus was out there. And he said, come down. Right? And we know from the Sunday school song, which probably is not the most accurate, right? But he says, I'm going to your house for tea, right? We don't know if he went to his house for tea, but he said, let, let me visit with you, right? Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was not accepted in the community. And Jesus knew what Zacchaeus did, right? But even, after, even in the midst of all that, he saw this man that he needed to minister to, that he could change this person's life. And he went to his house and visited. And we see a changed man, right? Zacchaeus said, all that I've cheated of people, I will pay more, right? I'll, I'll give back and I'll change and I'll repent of my sins. But when we look in Luke chapter 9, 19 and verse 5 to 7, in verse 7, look at the, the attitudes of those who were around, right? It says they all complain. Instead of following Jesus' example and say, hey, you know, let's be merciful, right? Let's give a second chance, right? They all complain. They, they judge Jesus and said he's going to the house of a sinner as if they had no sin, right? 
So there's two perspectives that we can have here. We can have the perspective of the crowds that were around Zacchaeus, or we could have the perspective of Jesus and be merciful and recognize that humans are imperfect and give second, third, fourth, five, six chances for people to do better. Right? But even at death, we see Jesus' mercy and forgiveness. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 33 to 34, when Jesus now was hanging on the cross of Calvary, when he was looking down at his mother, his disciples, and the crowds that were clamoring to crucify him, before he gave up his last breath, last breath in verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he recognized again the human imperfection, right? that they didn't know maybe truly what they were doing by putting him on the cross, but yet he forgave. Jesus recognized the imperfection in people. And instead of sitting on a high horse like all the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of the day, he went to where people were. He helped and ministered to them. If Jesus was perfect and could be merciful and forgiving, what more us who are imperfect? And now when someone makes a mistake or when they wrong us, it's of course in our right to be upset and perhaps take action against those who wrong us. Right? But the question is, is that our default reaction? The moment somebody wrongs us, that we take revenge, right? that we go and make things right? Or do we consider the other person's perspectives and circumstances first? Like Jesus did. Right? Go to where they are and put myself in their shoes. Right? And you say, well, Jesus was perfect. Jesus put himself in our shoes, if you remember. Right? In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 to 8, uh, the following four verses from where Brother Sam read earlier, we read that Jesus made himself to men. Right? So he, he put himself first in our shoes. He felt what it was like to be human and think like a human and feel like a human, right? And because of that, he understood what we are. I really think that by trying to understand the other person better and build relationship with others, it would help us to be more forgiving sometimes. Right? Understand that everyone has their own journey. Everyone is going through their own struggles. And many times, giving others the benefit of the doubt goes a very long way. Now, seeing God in others also helps, uh, also requires us to nourish each other's soul. Just as our physical bodies need to be fed and kept well with nourishing food, many times we don't pay attention to our spiritual and emotional nourishing. And I think this is where we can play a really big part in supporting each other and those around us. To use the interaction and time we have with others to uplift their souls. Too much time in the world today is spent on breaking people down. And I'm sure if you look at your own environments, communities, right, whether it's at home, at work, your friends, families perhaps, right, you will see probably, generally, right, more times that people break down each other rather than build each other up. And that's quite sad. But the time that we spend on breaking others down is the same time and energy that we could use to build others up as well. It's the same time in the day that God has given to us, right? And so, again, let's look to Jesus. Many times we refer to Jesus' words as teaching the words of life right? or being life-giving. Right? And we even have a hymn today that we sing in church, right? wonderful words of life. Right? So we refer to Jesus' words as words of life. Why? 
Because whenever people came to interact with Jesus in a conversation, Jesus always left them in a better place. Uh, Jesus gave them hope. Jesus gave them encouragement. Jesus gave them direction. And then after that, he followed up by providing for their physical needs. Let's look at a few examples. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 to 12, when we look at the Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, Jesus says. It'd be hard to imagine that if we were sitting in that speech that Jesus had, where he talked about the beautiful attitudes today, that we wouldn't walk away being better people because we have a new mindset to operate from. When we think about Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 1 to 21, where Nicodemus approached Jesus in the middle of the night because Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? He didn't want his fellow Pharisees to see that he was approaching Jesus, right? And he had a long sparring session, which we would consider today, right, with Jesus, asking specifically about what, what is conversion? What is being born again? What is this baptism, right, that you're speaking of? And Jesus had a long conversation with him, right? Nicodemus walked away enlightened, right? And then we find Nicodemus again after Jesus' death, right? Being at the tomb where he brought some offerings for Jesus. When we think about the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 and verse 4 to 26, the woman probably woke up in the day not thinking that her life was going to be any different today, went to the well to get some water, met this man who she's never seen before, found out that he was a savior, and suddenly ran back into the city to inform the people that she had found the Messiah. Every time Jesus interacted with people, they walked away enlightened, they walked away with a changed life, they walked away better people. And Jesus' purpose was to help. And when not doing miracles or any other physical wonders, he impacted others positively through feeding their souls. The question for us today is, are we life-giving in our interactions with others today? Do we take the initiative to leave those that we interact with better, right? as much as we can? Now, I know it's, in, it's impossible sometimes to have 100% of these kind of interactions, right? But in most of the time that we spend with people, do they walk away better than they are? Um, someone that was said, something that was said to me many years ago by one of my mentors uh, had, a, had an impact on me, and it, it's tough even now as I think about it. And he said, if what you said to someone today was the last thing that you ever said to them and you never saw them again, would you be happy with how you left them? It's very piercing right? because it requires us to be conscious about every interaction that we're having with someone. And I tell you, it's hard to live up to that, right? But it's a good reminder anyways, right? So what do we do now, right? When we, when we think about, about all these ways that we see each other, right? What's next for us? And there are just a few key takeaways. Right? Number one, be thankful. Thank God that you are a wonderful, creative, marvelous creation and that you have the opportunity to interact with other wonderful, creative, marvelous creations called people. Thank God for the opportunity that, to have a life and the opportunity to impact others positively. Thank God for the people that he will bring into your life so that they can experience God through you. Be a friend to others. When God created mankind in Genesis, we were never meant to be alone. As we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God created another human being so that Adam would not be alone. And we see in John chapter 15 and verse 15, Jesus was a good friend uh, to those who he was around with. Humans need each other to rely on. And society has been very communal 
from the from very early on in civilization because we can't go through life alone. So as much as we can, be a friend to others and let others befriend us as well. Open ourselves up to friendship, no matter how strong you think you are as a person, right? But there will be times in life when you need another shoulder to rely on. Be conscious. Seeing others in God requires us to look and think deeper than just our super inter superficial interactions with others. It requires us to recognize. It requires us to acknowledge. And it requires us to consider one another. As we read in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 to 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem each other's better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So let's place weight on the interactions that we have with others to see if we're truly seeing them and recognizing them. Before I leave you with my sharing today, uh, it's notable to point out that just because we take these perspectives that we've learned today from the Bible and we take the effort to see, it, see others and to recognize them and to treat them well, for the most part, they probably won't do the same in return. Right? That's the way the world is today. And that's okay. Because Jesus was the perfect example. He lived a sin-free a sin life. And after all that he did, the world still rejected him. Many people still rejected him, and they still reject him today. But I would like to leave you with this poem of sorts. Uh, some of you may have seen this. And uh, it's generally attributed to Mother Teresa, but actually it's not. Uh, it, it was not something that she said. Um, it, was, it actually came from an earlier version called The Paradoxical Commandments by a man called Ken Keith, uh, who wrote this in 1968, and he's still alive today. But that paradoxical commandment was then found painted uh, on the walls of a children's home in Calcutta, India, where Mother Teresa was involved in. And through evolution of time, people have attributed it to her. And you may have seen different forms of this, right? But this is what it says. And the title of this writing is Anyway. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good that you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and you will never be enough. Give your best anyway. And the point of this anyway poem is that it takes the focus away from what we feel and what we want and it elevates us to think about what God wants. To be the marvelous creation that he has created us to be. To make an impact positively on others, as he has created us to be. And when we pursue what God wants, it ultimately makes us better people. I hope that today's sharing has triggered some thoughts in you from the word of God to see God in each other, to recognize the divine in all of us here today, in the way we interact, in the way we work together with people. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, 
if you have not yet had your sins forgiven, we want you to know today that God loves you. And God has created you a marvelous, wonderful, creative human being. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And the call from God today is for you to come back to him so that he can continue to give you a purposeful, fulfilled life. If you're a member of the Lord's body today, but perhaps you've not seen God in yourself, much less seen God in others, the call is always today for you to come back, for you to repent, for you to make your life better again with God hand in hand. So whatever your needs may be, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.